Merry Christmas. It really is the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? And it's not because of reindeer that dance or because of snowmen that sing. Christmas definitely isn't wonderful because of figgy pudding or moments spent under the mistletoe. Christmas is wonderful because we have been given the greatest gift of all time, a baby born in a manger. You know, when the angels made their pronouncement that night over Bethlehem so long ago, this is what they said. It's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is Carol McLeod, your host, and I hope you'll join me every weekday from now until Christmas as we celebrate this season in a joyful, holy, and meaningful way. And may I just say it one more time, Merry Christmas. Christmas really is the most wonderful time of the year, but often we lose the wonder of this miraculous season because of the busyness that comes along with it. Now, if you think you're too busy, let me tell you something. When Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem that momentous night, historians tell us that there might have been as many as one million extra people slogging through the streets of Bethlehem. They were all there because a decree had gone out from Caesar Augustus that all the world was going to be taxed. And so Joseph and Mary found themselves along with millions of other people. But the situation was this. Mary and Joseph had something else going on in their lives. She was about to give birth to the Savior of the world. And Joseph had to protect her, had to get her through the mass of teeming humanity and find a safe place for her to give birth to the Savior of the world. When you think of busy, when you think of the jostling of people and events and expectations, never forget what Joseph and Mary went through that night as well. You know, I do want to talk to you today about the busyness of the Christmas season, because I love Christmas. I love every day of this blessed and miraculous season. And one of the reasons I love it so much is that I really do simplify. I do not find great pleasure in going and standing in long lines with 2 million other people who are there. I don't find pleasure in that. What I do find pleasure in is celebrating the birth of my Savior in simple yet dynamic ways. You know, some years we send cards and some years I don't, and I don't feel guilty about it. Some years I bake cookies. Most years I buy cookies. I don't go to every party to which I'm invited because my family always comes first during the Christmas season. Maybe you're not too busy. Perhaps you're bored and you wish for some commotion in your life. You wish that there were 2 million people knocking down your door. And I want to encourage you today, don't sit around feeling sorry for yourself this Christmas season. Create some commotion. Invite people over. Plan an event. Go out with old friends for coffee. Bake cookies for the neighbors. Don't sit home feeling lonely and sad. Find somebody who will celebrate this season with you. 
If your children are grown and gone and don't come home anymore, look around. There are children everywhere. Invite a single mother over to your home with her children. Find a young couple who's far away from home and bake cookies together. If I could just say this gently to you, Christmas is not about your feelings. Christmas is not about your loneliness or your busyness. Christmas is not about your yearning for your life to be different somehow. Christmas is not about old Lang Syne. It's about making room for Christ in your life, whether your life is busy or whether it's boring. My friend, don't miss divine appointments because you're too busy or because you're too bored. I believe that often God allows an emptiness in our lives so that we can fill it with him, so that we can fill it with his plan, so that we can fill it with prayer and praying for divine appointments. I want to challenge you today. Look for divine appointments everywhere you go this Christmas season. Pray for divine appointments everywhere you go. When you get up in the morning and look at your list of things to do today, the most important thing you're going to do this holiday season or any day of any month of any year is to pray that God will give you divine appointments and then start looking for them at the grocery store. Lord, anybody here who needs encouraging? Anybody here who needs prayer in the post office line, strike up a conversation with that elderly person behind you at the mall. Say some encouraging words to that overworked, underpaid sales lady. Say, I appreciate you. Thank you for helping me today. In your neighborhood, knock on somebody's door and invite them over for Christmas coffee. Look for a harried young mother that you can help her carry her groceries out of the store. Listen, don't become the Grinch, but overcome the Grinch because that's what Christmas is all about. My prayer is that this year, in the middle of your overly active life, you'll have time to gaze in wonder at the baby in the manger. Don't miss the divine appointments of the Christmas season because you're so wrapped up in the temporary aspect of of it all that you miss the glory of it all. The glory of Christmas is the miracle of his presence. It's a baby lying in a manger. Well, it was during that evening when Joseph and Mary were being pushed and shoved by millions of people down the narrow streets of Bethlehem that Mary felt the first of her labor pains. Maybe her water broke on the crowded street, wetting her garment and the donkey on which she was riding. Perhaps she said, Joseph, find a place for me to rest. You know, there was not an emergency room nearby. There were no midwives who could help Mary at this painful moment of her life. All of the inns were full. There was no room for the Savior of the world to be born. Luke chapter 2, verse 6. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I wonder what was going through the mind and the heart of Joseph and Mary. Were they questioning God when they couldn't find a place to stay? 
God, if this child is really from you, will you provide for us? I wonder if Joseph's heart silently cried, God, this isn't fair. She's so young. She doesn't deserve this. She's in so much pain. God, we need you. I wonder if Mary quietly whispered into Joseph's ear, Joseph, please find a place for me to rest. And Joseph found nothing more than a cave. It was a barn. It was a stable in which to prepare for the quickly approaching arrival of their son. The smelly stable was rife with manure and unkempt animals. The hard ground was saturated with the urine of the barnyard creatures and clean hay was sparse. What would the young father do? How could he make this labor experience easier for his wife? I can picture cobwebs drooping from the ceiling while a mouse or two scurried by in fear. I wonder if the cows were munching on the pungent hay and the sheep were sadly looking on as Mary labored and bled. It was into this putrid atmosphere of mankind, of subpar living, of unfair conditions, that the Savior of the world entered the war zone of planet Earth. You know, my heart stops as I picture the enchanted face of this teenage mother meeting her baby boy for the very first time. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. That verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 7, has changed everything for every human being who's ever lived since that moment in time. I think about Mary in the smell and manure, in the scratchy hay and straw, in her bloodied garment. She was gazing into the face of God, and he was looking back at her. God wrapped his tiny hand around Mary's little finger. And in that moment, God wrapped his love around Mary's heart at well. Will you pause in the busyness of this season and gaze in wonder at the God who sent his son for you? Will you go to the manger with Mary and Joseph and with me and look into the face of God? That moment in history, that singular moment in history, as Mary looked at this little boy, he was her son, yet her Lord. He was her baby, yet her majesty. I can picture it now. Mary couldn't take her eyes off of him. So great was her love for this child. I don't know what you're going through today, but I hope that like Mary, your gaze is fixed. It stayed on the baby in the manger. And when I think about this moment in Mary's life, to me, not only is it a wonder that Mary was gazing in awe and wonder into the eyes of God. To me, the greatest miracle of all was that God 
couldn't take his eyes off of Mary. So great was his love for all of mankind. All of eternity had eclipsed at this one climactic moment as a virgin girl held the Savior of the world in her arms and as they gazed into one another's eyes. I want to tell you something today. God can't take his eyes off of you. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Shepherds were dirty, uneducated men with grime under their fingernails and sludge in their brains. There were a group of these shepherds one night huddled around a fire in the inky black of night. These muddy specimens of humanity were cold and shivering while trying to stay awake. Their only responsibility in life was to keep track of a herd of dumb sheep who were restless disobedient, and lice-infested. Shepherds at this moment in history were a hopeless crew of men with nothing to look forward to, knowing that nothing about their lives would ever, ever change. Life can become quickly pointless if you're a man who lives with sheep drool on his clothes and sheep dung between his toes. This particular night was no different from thousands of other nights until something happened so extraordinary and so miraculous that for these men and for all of us, nothing, absolutely nothing would ever be the same again. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. Heaven burst into their small, dark world. The song of the angels erupted into the war zone of planet Earth and proclaimed the joy of heaven into their dark and cold existence. Stars were falling and bursting in rare and glorious colors. The heavens opened and angels were singing in a mighty symphony that can still be heard today. Jesus invaded our world with heaven's joy, and it's still his gift to you today. His presence in your life makes shepherds dance and angels sing. Your heart can be an explosion of joy because of the baby in the manger. You can have joy in your dark, cold, and hopeless life because of Jesus. You can walk in peace because of this baby. But the angel said to the shepherds, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased.
Angels are an intrinsic and dynamic part of the Christmas story. Christmas simply would not have been nearly as exciting or thrilling without these God-sent messengers from heaven. Now, we don't know whether or not the angels were clothed in flowing white robes, whether they had a halo that was sparkling, or even whether or not they flew with wings under the Christmas scene. But what we do know is this. These angels carried the heart and message of God concerning the momentous event that was taking place in the small village of Bethlehem. Angels appear four times in the traditional Christmas story, and each time, although they carry different pieces of information concerning what is to happen to different individuals who would take a part in the Christmas story, the message of the angelic host is always the same. Do not be afraid. It was what the angel first said to Zechariah, then to Mary, then to Joseph, and finally to the shepherds on the hillside. Do not be afraid. I wonder if one of the purposes of Christmas is to deal with the fear problems of humanity. I believe that heaven is sending a message into your life today, into your heart this Christmas season, because Christmas plainly declares that Jesus and fear are mutually exclusive. Fear cannot exist in the presence of Jesus. When Jesus arrives on the scene, there is no reason to be afraid because his presence powerfully removes any and all reason for fear. So my friends, it's time for you to listen to the angels and to step away from your fear and into his presence. I pray that this Christmas and for every day of the coming year, that you will realize that when Jesus has been birthed into your heart, there is absolutely no reason for fear or for worry. The message of Christmas has not changed much in 2,000 years, and I can guarantee you that the words of the angels are still ringing clearly into our 21st century world. Do not be afraid. When your circumstances are falling apart, remind yourself, do not be afraid. When there is not enough money to pay the bills, remind yourself, Do not be afraid. When you're dealing with disappointment, with pain or loneliness, remind yourself, do not be afraid. In the Old Testament, God promised that he would give his peace to those whose hearts and minds are fully stayed on him. Peace is not the absence of trouble, nor is it the absence of confusion, nor is it the absence of stress. But peace is simply this, the presence of God. And because of Jesus this Christmas and every Christmas to follow, you can rest in the overwhelming and satisfying peace that the baby in the manger brought into your specific world. Let's go back and read Luke chapter 2, verse 10, one more time. But the angel said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
after the angels brought the heavenly message to tell us not to be afraid. Then they used one particular word to describe the birth of Jesus Christ, to describe what was happening on planet earth because Jesus, the son of God had arrived for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. You know what? This is the first word that the angels used to describe the birth of Jesus, joy. Psalm 1611 tells us in his presence is fullness of joy. And because the presence of Jesus had arrived on planet earth, so had the joy of heaven. And my friends, if Jesus has been born in your heart, do you know what should be the first word used to describe you as well? It should be the word joy. People should go around exclaiming, what a joyful person he or she is. Not what a busy person they are, or a nosy person, or a nice person, or efficient person, or nervous person. Not what a sad person, or depressed person, or discouraged person. But the world should see in you what the angels proclaimed that night over Bethlehem. Good news of great joy. You, my friend, have been branded with heaven's joy for the rest of your life on planet Earth. So show it. Reveal it. The joy of Christmas should be oozing out of every pore of your body. Joy is the birthmark of a Christian. Your heart should now beat with the joy of heaven. When you're born again, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you have become the vessel of his presence where there is always fullness of joy. You see, your life is not about you. It's never been about you. Your life is not about your feelings or your preferences or your disappointments or your discouragement or your opinions or your attitude or your pain because your heart is the manger into which the baby has been born. Your life now has divine purpose and substance beyond itself. Your life is no longer filled with rats scurrying around and cobwebs hanging and the smell of urine. No, the hopelessness of your life has dissipated as you understand the honor, the high honor of transmitting the joy of his presence to the muddy specimens of humanity. Your life is about carrying Christ to the world. Just like the miracle of Mary was when heaven invaded the womb of Mary so she could deliver Jesus to the world, that is now the purpose of your life as well. Your life is about delivering the person and presence of Jesus at this moment in history. We have been given the chief task of carrying the joy of his presence to this dark and cold world. My, 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 what an honor has been bestowed on our ordinary lives. Mary was the first to be pregnant with God so that we could be carriers of the divine DNA as well. And do you know how heaven's DNA is spelled? 
J-O-Y. There's an old Christmas song that says Christmas is for children. And in some innocent way, that's true, isn't it? There is just something about a child that connects with the story of Christmas in a miraculous, joyful way. I'd like to tell you the story today of a little boy who was about eight years old, and his name was David. He was an athlete in his third grade class, a spelling bee champion, and could do multiplication tables faster than anyone in the entire third grade. Early in November, David came home from school sad and discouraged. As his mother fed him his after-school snack of peanut butter and jelly on white bread, chased down with a glass of cold milk, big tears started rolling down David's freckled cheeks. His teacher had told him he couldn't sing in the Christmas program. He sang just awful, she said, too loud, scratchy, and off-pitch. David's teacher said, you will have to sit while the rest of the third graders sing. David's father was sitting in the living room reading the evening paper and couldn't help but overhear. He was furious. He was indignant. How could a teacher do this to a child? This teacher had no right to dent this child's self-esteem. The father, after getting over himself, decided to experiment with his son. He took David into the living room and had him stand beside the family piano. What is your class singing? David's father asked. Well, something about a glorious song and midnight and a clear sky from long ago. David's father started to play the lilting melody of It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, that glorious song of old. As David opened his toothless mouth, a cat-like screech came out. His father had to resist putting his hands over his ears and quickly wiped the grimace off his face. The father patiently said, David, Part of singing is listening. Listen to what I'm playing and then sing and try to match the tone in your voice with the tone that's coming out of the piano. Well, David's second attempt was worse than the first. David's father soon realized that his son had no idea of high notes or low notes or going up the scale or going down the scale. But when the father was tempted to give up with his tone-deaf child, he thought of the unfeeling teacher and realized if a father doesn't do this, then who will? David's father spent every late November afternoon with his son. But this father was teaching a lively little boy how to sing. They soon progressed from the first line of the song to the next line from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. The entire family had to give up four o'clock TV shows and conversations with dad after school because dad was intent on teaching David how to sing a Christmas song. After weeks of practice, The first time that David actually matched a pitch with the piano, the entire family gathered around the piano and cheered for David. His father mussed up his red hair and his siblings jumped up and down. 
Then there was the third phrase of the Christmas carol that David and his father had to master. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all gracious king. When the day came that David had to sing for his teacher once again, she looked at this freckle-faced, red-haired little boy and said, a miracle has happened. You learned how to sing. You learned how to sing a Christmas song. Yes, you can be in the Christmas program. And as a matter of fact, David, you can be in the front row. Well, the family dressed for the Christmas concert as if they were anticipating a Broadway show. All four of David's siblings attended. His dad put on his business suit, white shirt, and red tie. And the baby, even the baby of the family came and sat on their mother's knee with a pacifier in his cherry red mouth. Well, the first graders started the program and danced as if they were snowflakes or was it angels? Well, it was one or the other. The eighth graders gave a stirring rendition of Twas the Night Before Christmas when all through the house. When it was time for the third graders to go on stage, the entire family held their collective breath. Would David sing on pitch or off pitch? Would he screech or would it sound like a melody? David's father could feel his blood pressure rising, and David's mother had to fan herself with the Christmas program. David was front and center. He was angelic. He was on pitch. You could hear his high soprano soaring above all of the other third graders. David's mother had tears streaming down her cheeks as the song ended with the glorious thought, the world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. As David filed off the stage with his class, the father hoped for eye contact, for an acknowledgement, even a slight wave or a mischievous grin, but there was none. David was quickly immersed in the business of being a third grade boy. Well, the weeks until Christmas quickly passed in the busyness of cookie baking, present wrapping, sending cards, choosing the perfect Christmas tree, and decorating the family home. On Christmas Eve, after the Christmas stockings had been carefully hung by the chimney, the mother and father tucked into bed only four of their five children. They were unable to find small David. He wasn't in his bedroom or in the bathroom. He wasn't in the kitchen getting a bedtime snack. He wasn't hanging out in his older brother's bedroom as he often did. Where did that boy go? Where was David? As David's father looked out the window, he saw his boy in the front yard with his pajamas on. He was standing in the snow barefoot, looking into the sky with tears running down his little boy cheeks. The father quietly walked out the front door and put his arms around this little man without saying a single word. The son leaned his little boy body into his father's chest, and the father felt the heartbeat of his sons joining in the rhythm with his own. Finally, David said in a broken voice, Dad, 
It's so still. The boy pressed his cheek against the scruffy cheek of his father. Dad, all those stars, it's so still. Dad, the world is lying still. Just like the song says, the little boy made eye contact with his father and his honest little boy eyes were open wide in the wonder of the moment. David was deeply moved, but oh, so calm. Daddy, do you hear them? Do you hear the angels singing? I do. I hear them, Dad. Do you hear them? This father thought that he was teaching a little boy to sing, to make a sweet sound of Christmas. But what he was really teaching David was to listen, to listen for the angel song. Only a parent could do that. No one else had the time or the energy or the patience. That is one of the reasons that God sent Jesus into our broken, scratchy, noisy world. It wasn't just to teach us to sing, but it was to teach us to listen, to listen for the song of the angels in a world that is filled with television shows and busyness and impatient people and dented egos and a lifetime of disappointments. God sent his son, Jesus, to listen for the father's heartbeat above the hustle and the bustle of the season. You see, the sweet sounds of Christmas are not just the sounds that you make, but the sweetest sound of Christmas is one that you must listen for. But before you can hear it, you have to stop and listen. You must bring stillness to your world And then you will hear the sound of Christmas. You will hear the sound of a sheep buying in the manger. You will hear the groans of a young mother in labor. You will hear the busyness of the crowds in the streets of Bethlehem. You will hear the shepherds rejoicing and you will hear the angels singing. You will hear a mother's exclamation of joy at the birth of a child. You will hear the sounds of tidings of good news of great joy that were brought from heaven. And you will hear a father on his weary knees thanking God for a safe delivery. I don't know what sounds of Christmas are filling your world this year. Perhaps you're dealing with the sounds of disappointment or economic woes. Perhaps you've heard a doctor say there is no hope. But I want to challenge you this Christmas to listen for the song of eternity. I hope that today's program reminded you what the heart of Christmas is truly all about. I love spending this time with you. And from my heart to yours, Merry Christmas.